Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. Catlin Gable, one of Portland's most prominent private schools, said it had cracked the code for student success, a progressive primary educational approach that encouraged close relationships between students and their teachers. But according to an explosive internal investigation released last month, the school for decades seemed to turn a blind eye to allegations of sexual abuse committed by at least nine former teachers and staff. The report named six of those nine former school employees. Another dozen abuse complaints were chronicled but could not be corroborated. The school now faces a criminal investigation, a lawsuit from a former student, and what could amount to an existential threat. I'm Andrew Thien, and this is Beat Check with the Oregonian. Up next, a conversation with Jeff Manning, the Oregonian and Oregon Live senior investigative reporter. We talked about the alleged abuse, the victims, and whether Catlin Gable can survive. Jeff, thanks for taking the time to come talk about your latest investigation on Catlin Gable. I appreciate it. Uh, no problem, Andrew. Glad to be here. How did we come to this point with Catlin Gable where we have a investigation from the inside, from the outside, um, and then media reports led by your reporting looking at these sex abuse allegations that date back decades. I was a public school kid. My kids are public school kids. I, I had no clue about Catlin other than I, I knew it was a private school that catered to uh, the, the fairly well-off. And uh, as I learned more, it, was, it, it, it became apparent that Catlin wasn't just a school. It was, uh, it was an experiment in cutting-edge education um, they they thought they had hit upon a better way, a more enlightened way, a more progressive way that the, their whole thing was breaking down the, the traditional barriers between instructors and students. You know, I'm sure it had great results over the years and it also had really destructive results. It all came out in the wash late last year uh, with the release of a stunning report. When did you first hear about these sex abuse allegations at Catlin Gable? Well, I, I first heard about them fairly late. Uh, that was probably last May or June. Uh, and I heard rumblings that there was a big problem at Catlin, and uh, I reached out to some contacts on the board of the school, and uh, they convinced me to hold off until they got the report done, which I did reluctantly. And uh, so I was able to get the story first. And uh, it was, wow, it was a mind blower. So the the board set in motion this internal investigation and, and report that kind of outlined the, the years of uh, allegations? Yes. And they actually had announced last in October of 18 that the, that they were going to launch this report and as much as anything believe it or not uh, we have Brent Kavanaugh to thank why do you say that in the fall of 18 Kavanaugh was before Congress uh, as he was being considered for the Supreme Court opening uh, there was the testimony from his high school schoolmate 
who claimed that Kavanaugh had groped her. And, uh, you know, in the midst of the Me Too movement, it was really powerful stuff. The Catlin Gable students, now adults, began to rethink their high school experience. Bad memories started floating up into their consciousness. A couple of them uh, went on social media and uh, wrote about their experiences. It opened a floodgate for other students, and it, it convinced the administration of Catlin Gable that they had to take some drastic action to ensure the school survived. You mentioned the Me Too movement. The Harvey Weinstein scandal kind of skyrocketed that into our nation's consciousness. Um, but, you know, it, the, the, the spillover effect, uh, it took months and went on for, you know, ultimately almost a year when it culminated with the, the Kavanaugh hearing. So prior to Kavanaugh, to your knowledge, there wasn't a, a public reckoning um, from former students at Catlin Gable? There actually were. There were a couple students or former students who went to social media as early as the fall of 2017. Mm. Uh, And uh, they wrote about their really unpleasant, unthinkable uh, experiences at Catlin. So this has been a while. The momentum of this, it took a while to build. And... uh, it, it boy, it, it has reached a crescendo here with uh, after the release of the Catlin Gable internal report. So this report uh, came out in December, right? That's right. Um, and you've kind of alluded that it was pretty um, dramatic, pretty terrible stuff. Um, can you shed a little bit of light of some of the details um, that were included and and how Catlin went? about naming, uh, whether it decided to name individual teachers in the report? First of all, I think you have to give Catlin Gable a lot of credit. They could have put real restrictions on this investigator. They could have told her, just go back 12 months. That's all we need. But they didn't. They said, go with it and go with where it takes you. So she went all the way back to 1970, and uh, she found a lot of... uh, really disgusting behavior uh, by some of the most prominent teachers uh, on campus, none more so than uh, Richardson Dick Shoemaker. Mm -hmm. Shoe, as everyone knew him, he was the grand patriarch of the faculty, a sixth-grade math teacher, who, according to this report and a whole lot of people I've talked to, he would touch them, sometimes over their clothes, sometimes under He loved to take the girls up onto his lap where they could work on math uh, problems together. The whole time, uh, he is sticking his hand up her shirt uh, and worse. uh, And with Shoemaker, that's one of the issues that creates a big liability for Catlin because there seems to have been many, many victims the first lawsuit was filed uh, last week, and mm-hmm. it was uh, a woman now in her, her late 30s who was a student under Shoemaker, was, claimed she was groped repeatedly 80 times, she said, and she's asking for $4.5 million. Um, that's going to add up in a hurry as other women uh, follow her lead. Like you said, this was this was not uh, unknown. Um, the, the allegations against against Shu um, dating back decades, right? The multiplying effect it, it mm-hmm. doesn't take a 
a, a math uh, well, teacher uh, to diagnose the, the issue potentially facing the school here. Yeah, well, uh, you know, and you said something about these claims not being known uh, or, or being known on campus. They may they were known to a handful of sixth graders who who li- lived through it, but I can't tell you how many former students have reached out to me and said. Not Shu. Don't no. He's Shu was a, a lot of students, female students included, their favorite by far. When they think of Catlin, Shoemaker is is the guy that comes to mind. Wow. Uh, yeah. It, it, he he had this. He a lot of people loved him. What what um, beyond you know the behavior that the alleged behavior that you described earlier? What have you heard from students? Uh, about what they liked about the guy, I guess his face was on the on one of the school buses, right? So I mean, he was obviously a beloved figure. But what what did people say uh, who said you know he was their favorite teacher? One of the women I talked to who was had a sexual relationship with another teacher uh, and is no big fan of Catlin whatsoever said that her jaw dropped when she read about Shoemaker. He was everywhere on campus. In addition to teaching his class, he coached the, the girls' soccer team. Apparently, he directed this annual go-kart competition. So a lot of the kids' memories is of Shoemaker actually building their go-kart for oh, okay. him. Sort of a soapbox derby sort of thing. And uh, he, drove, he did drive a bus now and then. Mm-hmm. Uh, he accompanied the kids on a lot of outdoor adventures. All of that now takes on this sinister connotation but a lot of the students that i talked to said that he was on the up and up with them and he uh died so he's not here to to answer questions or to talk to you or to explain uh, or try to answer for any of his behavior he died in august of 18 and clearly there were suspicions about him that mm-hmm. were building as you know the 1990s were given away to the to the to 2000 the police, the Washington County Sheriff's Office, and the Portland Police Bureau got reports that he was sexually abusing people, and it wasn't on campus. Shortly thereafter, in 2000, he was he left Callan Gable. Okay. So he had been gone for almost two decades at yeah. the time of his death. Um, there were six teachers named, yeah. uh, or former teachers or administrators right. named in this report. Um, other five, five additional to uh, to Shu. Um, how did the school uh, decide whether or not to name these teachers in their report? Uh, it was actually a fairly strict formula, uh, and I'm not privy to every detail. But they decided that they would need multiple accounts of wrongdoing. They would need some way to independently corroborate. I, I don't know exactly how that panned out, but that's what they said in the report. Mm-hmm. If they could fulfill all of that, they would name them. If they came close to that, say, for instance, they got more than one accusation, but they couldn't independently corroborate it, they wouldn't name that teacher, but that they would include detailed accusations against them. Mm-hmm. So the report, there are nine pretty concrete instances of teachers that we're way over the line. The report uses the number 21, that there are 21 wrongdoers. And I don't exactly know where they're getting that 21 number. At the paper here, we've stuck with nine. Either way, that's a lot of names at a relatively small school. You know, we're talking decades, but still it's a significant number of of people. When I talked to 
to lawyers and others who really know sexual abuse cases and have been through other sexual abuse cases like the local Catholic archdiocese or the local Boy Scouts, uh, they say that what is what really sets Catlin apart is the sheer number of alleged wrongdoers. The effective time period that we're talking about is uh, 1970 to 2016. 2016 is the most recent case in which an administrator was fired or asked to leave because it was deemed he had an inappropriate relationship with a 16-year-old. Okay. It, it just shows you how, t- how times have changed. In the 70s and even 80s, there were young students who gathered together in a really courageous way, and they went to administrators and they went to teach other teachers and said, this is happening, please help, and they were ignored. I mean, the way that they were ignored and sort of shoved off is really one of the most appalling things about this whole report. Uh, one teacher advised this a group of sixth grade girls who had the guts to come forward. How can you even think about making that kind of accusation against Shu? You could cost him his job. If you have a problem with Shu, go to Shu. It's just uh, phenomenal. Now, flash forward to 2015. Deontay Huff has a sexual relationship with a student. He's a coach at Gallon Gable. Mm-hmm. He's in jail. Um, so uh, times changed. How, how did this go on for so long in conversations that you've had with either current teachers or staff or former teachers or staff or former students? Do you get a sense of why this went on for so long? You know, it's so, it's so bizarre. It, it, was, it just seemed like it was an open secret in the 70s and 80s, that these relationships were going on. I talked to one woman who was a senior in high school at the time. She was having a sexual relationship, which she considered a monogamous, romantic sexual relationship with her English teacher. They would go out on social, on dates with other Callan Gable faculty members who apparently felt no compunction to report anything that that the English teacher down the hall was sleeping with a student, a 17-year-old student. It's unbelievable. It is. And, you know, there, there are instances of uh, former students marrying former faculty members and what you chronicled in your reporting, too. And it's just mystifying, you know, um, even if the 17-year-old sees it as as a monogamous relationship, it's if sex is involved, that's rape. I mean, that's not a... That's a subject of mandatory reporting yeah. to, to the cops and to state social workers. And in those days, it was like, yeah, let's go have a picnic together. I mean, it was just... Uh... Now, it's interesting you mentioned the marriage. We have three documented cases of Callum Gable male faculty members marrying former students shortly after they graduated. Mm. And in not all of those cases, but in most of those cases, the relationship began when the the girl was in high school. After this all broke, believe it or not, last fall, Catelyn Gable changed their policy at long last, saying, okay, faculty members, you cannot have a sexual relationship and you cannot get married to a Catlin Gable student until they're 21. Instead, and before the rule was 18. Wow. Once they turned 18, it was fair game. That's so. and the fact that that had to be uh, enacted is is a, a telling in and of itself. 
in 2018. Jeff, what safeguards are in place to protect Oregon students from abuse, and how is it that those appear to have failed students at Catlin? It completely failed Catlin Gable students, and I'm no expert on how the law has evolved over the years, but there always was an aspect of mandatory reporting if you came across abuse. Now it's really incredibly strict. If you don't report to you know the Department of Human Services and to the local cops, you're going to be in big trouble. The consciousness, the public consciousness about relationships, quote-unquote, between teachers and students, mm-hmm. night and day. And thank God. What is Catlin Gable's place in in the broader education ecosystem? You know, I am not from here. I'm from the state of Washington. I, I've been in Portland a long time, since 1985. But I didn't get it uh, when this news broke and I wrote the first story about the report uh, our colleague Tom Hallman, who is one of the few Portland natives on staff, came to me and said, you, you just don't get it. You don't get how big this story is. And I'm like, what? What are you talking about? Because Callan Gable is such a part of the fabric of this town. Um, it has been educating the, the richest sons and daughters from the most influential families in this town forever. It is really part of the fabric here, and uh, I certainly didn't get that until now. For folks who hadn't been there before, um, this is uh, a school that's kind of like on this rolling hillside, right, um, with separate buildings, um, kind of a, a beautiful part of the, the West Hills, right? Uh, yeah, but it's funny. When you go there, it doesn't look super rich. In fact, it looks sort of uh, rural and uh, – understated. When I went there to talk to the administration, I was sort of taken aback by that. I was really expecting to see these grand buildings, uh, you know, built with millions of dollars of donated money. And it is not that. Let's take a break and we'll come back and talk a little bit about some of the students um, you've spoken with. What have you heard from some of the alums, uh, former students that you've spoken to? Um, I mean, how are they feeling uh, right now, um, both the people who are alleging that some of their uh, former teachers uh, abused them or uh, much worse, and, and those who, who may have been there but to witness it? Uh, it's all over the map. You know, there are uh, – I've run into some of the bravest people uh, during the course of the story – I think about how I would react if it were me, and uh, it would it would be so difficult to talk about this because it's intensely private. And I mean, they feel vindicated on the one hand by the report; they feel there's a fresh sense of betrayal, uh, and there's rage. Um, some of these victims, this is really affected their entire life. Um, it's led to intimacy problems. It's led to a lot of distrust and fear and bitterness. And and now to have this report come out and all of this dirty laundry come out, like I say, it, while it's been vindicating, it's also been freshly painful. 
uh, for a lot of them and uh, really difficult. How many victims have you spoken with? Oh, 20. Wow. 25 maybe. We talked about the first lawsuit uh, being filed here in, in January uh, from Kim Wilson, a, a former student there. Um, do you have a sense that more lawsuits are coming? I mean, do you know that more lawsuits are coming or is it just kind of an assumption? Without a doubt. Yeah. What are school officials telling you or are they talking to you about how they're feeling right now? No, they're not talking to me a whole lot. Uh, I have some relationships that survive, but uh, I'm supposed to go through channels these days and Mm -hmm. uh, they're they will respond with a written statement now and then or they'll just say no one here is available. I mean, I have the usual gripes that any reporter has about access, but when this all broke and the investigation came out, they fell on their sword and they were good to their word that they would make themselves available. So I don't have any real serious complaints. You've written about schools closing uh, in the private sector, um, uh, the the for-profit college sector, but... um, here we have a private, very well-acclaimed primary school. You've mentioned a couple times that its future might be in jeopardy. Why do you think that is? I think that it is an obvious question that uh, when you've got a multiple dozens of victims, when you have this kind of notoriety and the kind of sort of public sentiment that victims of this sort of thing deserve a lot of money. I mean, we had a case in this town where one Boy Scout was awarded $18.2 million after he made the case that he'd been abused by a scoutmaster. Mm. Um, it doesn't take many cases to create a big, huge liability. I don't know that they're going to fail. I don't know how big a financial problem this poses. They're not talking about that. You know, they have a $38 million endowment. I don't know if that is restricted. I mean, there is a possibility they wouldn't be able to touch that to cover some of these liabilities. Mm -hmm. So um, the other issue here that Catlin is facing is insurance. Every business or nearly every business has liability insurance. Uh, Well, the liability insurers saw this wave of sexual abuse cases across the country in the 80s and 90s. So they started excluding sex abuse as something that they would cover. So cases like SHU, which took place in the 70s and 80s, I think probably will be covered by the insurance they had at the time. But anything beyond the mid-80s, debatable whether it's covered. Don't forget that, uh, you know, literally months before this all hit the fan, Catlin entered into this deal, an eight or nine million dollar deal to buy an adjoining private school campus. So they undertook a significant obligation when they knew that they were going to face this legal tornado uh, in a matter of months. I find that really curious. And uh, so it just adds to the financial uncertainty. So, Jeff, you were tipped off about some of uh, these allegations months ago, but um, opted, you know, with the school's assurances of working with you to hold off. Can you explain a little bit to listeners who might not know how we approach stories, why you decided to make that that calculus and kind of whether you think it 
was beneficial to you and to where the story goes from here? Actually, I think that's a great question. And I think it is really sort of a interesting dilemma that any reporter faces. I did get a tip late last spring that there was some something deep and bad and dark brewing at uh, at Catlin. And uh, I knew a board member and I reached out and he was horrified that I knew, but we had a good relationship and we started bargaining, uh, which is a common fact of life in journalism. And that we struck a deal that I would get full access at some point, but uh, I would let them finish the report and uh, figure out what kind of the scale of the problem that they had. Um, so it is. It's debatable. You know, I'm sure other journalists would uh, take exception to the fact that I held off. Um, others, I'm sure, would agree that it was the smart way. Um, it worked, I think, for us. I got lucky and no one scooped me in the ensuing months until they were ready to talk in December. Were you worried that the school would walk away or not participate to the degree that you would need to feel good about the arrangement? Uh, it's happened before. Yeah, it's a risk, and I was gambling that uh, they, you know, I knew this guy, I trusted him, and we've, you know, we've butted heads many times and sure. uh, maintained a, a really, I think, strong and respectful relationship. And he not only kept to his word, he was there uh, at the time that I interviewed Tim Bazemore and. Uh, and he was really tough on the school. I mean, I, I'm i not going to hide it anymore. It was Bart Everwine, yeah. the Hoffman Construction Executive, who uh, is the chair of the board. His quotes at the time were unreal. I mean, he he was saying that there were little girls who came forward with outrageous claims against some of the senior teachers mm -hmm. on campus, and we protected the old men. Um, and I'm like, yeah. right. That's something that uh, jolts you, you out of your seat. You don't hear that every day. Um, I and, mean, that's just a measure of how strongly he feels that there was this was a massive wrongdoing and that needs to be right. When they told you to hold off, were you um, proceeding and contacting former students or were you kind of waiting to see what shook out with the investigation? There are several people who reached out to me quickly after they saw my name on that first story. Mm -hmm. uh, no one, I think, deserves more credit than a woman up in Seattle named Emily White. She emailed me the, like two days after this story came out and said, I, will, I want you to tell my story. I will go on the record and use my name. So I hot-footed it up to Seattle yeah. within a day or two. And... Uh, I mean, she told me this horrendous story of her English teacher who was grooming her for two years. And, you know, she thought she was special. She thought she had a monogamous relationship with the guy. And it turns out that she was one of several. And uh, she was 17. He was 45. Emily, is, uh, she, she was a gifted writer. She got the Stegner Fellowship to Stanford. Um, she was the real deal. Uh, but, you know, it's been, it hasn't been an easy life. And, and she admits that in part because it's tough for her to trust men. 
when your formative years, you have these uh, experiences from people that you respect and trust and look up to. And at the time, you might even think you're romantically involved with it. That, yeah, it makes sense that, that that would tilt your world on its axis. Yeah, and it did with Emily, and she was willing to tell her story uh, in part because of that, in part in spite of that, because going bearing your innermost secrets to the world that's painful that is really painful so you got these you know dozens of folks on the record just in the last month yeah Uh, it's a hell of a (laughs) reporting job man well uh, you know some of the people came to me sure you know and they were they were so angry that i mean i had a woman drive for two hours to meet me in mcminnville Mm -hmm. uh, because she was so uh, furious at the school and and really wanting to go on the record that uh, yeah I'm among the people who were intimidated and uh, abused. I admire some of these women so much. They're uh, really brave. What do you think this says at all about you know about our school school system or anything that you can um, glean from this, or is this just a uh, one one horrible story about a particular school and, and its culture. No, I really, th- I mean, strangely enough, it has sort of left me encouraged. Um, the system broke down with Gallon, uh, and it was slow to recognize it had a huge problem. But just like Western society has realized that there is something evil and perverse about an adult sexually getting involved sexually with a kid. Yeah. That reckoning has taken a lot of time, but it's in, it's fully in place now. And the sooner, the sooner we can rid the earth of this scourge, the better. And, uh, Catlin is paying the price right now for looking the other way for too long. Well, Jeff, thank you for your reporting, and we'll keep uh, watching for more on this story. You bet. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks for listening to Beat Check with the Oregonian. Read Jeff's stories about Catlin Gable at OregonLive.com. Check out my stories on the transportation beat at OregonLive.com slash commuting, or follow me on Twitter at Andrew Thien. Catch up on all the past episodes by subscribing to Beat Check anywhere you listen to podcasts. If you've left us a rating or review, thank you. It really helps us spread the word and helps other listeners find the show. Until next time.